Hello, and welcome to the Tavern Chat Podcast. I am your host, Eric Tenkar, your bartender in the OSR, and this is another in a Designers and Makers series of Fireside Chats. Uh, today, I have with me Janet from World Anvil. Janet. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, as I explained to you before uh, we got into this, uh, I'm going to ask you five basic questions about pretty much your gaming history, but it's to ground you uh, and ground our listeners into uh, a little background on you. So if you are ready, I am ready. It. All right. So tell us about your first role playing game experience. Oh, okay. This is quite a silly story. Um, so wasn't the best. Oh yeah, I went to a school uh, that had a role-playing game club. Um, we played D and D. It must have been, must have been second edition, I guess, or three point five. I was I was like eleven at the time, right? Okay. Um, so it was me and a group of I think we, there was five of us, and one of them was DMing, and it was all of our first first experience with with these kinds of games, like our older siblings played. But for us, it was it was really new. Um, and I played a mage, of course. Um, of course. Very sappy elf character, I think. Um, and uh, there was a certain point where we ran across something that we definitely couldn't fight. Um, and it was part of this adventure module, which I couldn't tell you which one. Uh, and basically what we were supposed to do was like back away and not engage with it. But what we did instead was get naked and distract it. <laughs> I'm afraid to even ask how that happened, but it was very successful. Our GM went with it. Um, it worked. We got the the treasure. We saved the person. That so that was that was my first D and D game. Age eleven, hilarious. Age eleven went naked. Well, not literal. All right, that. <sighs> and oh. As players, we were wearing clothes. As characters, oh, we were naked. That, right. Okay. I, whatever works. Now your DM, I give them a lot of credit for going along with that. And at age 11, deciding that going naked would be a distraction. We were very distracting. Uh, apparently so. Uh, so. So what is your go-to RPG system these days? Right now it's 5e because I'm doing a couple of campaigns in 5e. Um, I like Alternity very much. I really enjoyed that. Um, as a system, it's a, I played a sci-fi campaign in it. It was it was perfect for that. Um, okay. I was a fan of Pathfinder, a bit worried about Pathfinder Two, Pathfinder One. I enjoyed, um, but what I really liked about that was the premise of Pathfinders themselves. So it was a lot about the world. Not I wasn't particularly tied to the system, right. um, but in general, I'm I'm very sort of narrative based when I play. So I don't. I don't mind so much about the system as long as I can tell a damn good story and, and live a damn good story. Eh, the system, I don't really mind as long as it, it sort of makes sense to me. Fair enough. All right, so I got another question for you. Um, now, you came in, uh, how many years ago did you come into gaming? Um, well, again, like I... I started playing when I was 11, so now I'm, so that's 20 years, holy crap, that's 20 years ago. Holy crap. Um, nice. So I'm, I'm like 31 now. Um, and then I didn't play for ages. And then when I met 
Dimitri, who is now my husband and sitting very silently next to me. He may or may not speak during this. We will find out. Hello. There we go. There we go. <laughs> the man husband. Um, so when I met Dimitri and he started telling me that he played D&D, &D, I was, you know, I knew how much fun it was. Like, uh, I was really excited and we we started playing campaigns again, but that was um, seven years ago now. So that was that was when I got back into it. And since then, I've been playing off and on. I've done a bunch of campaigns. Um, would never leave it again. God bless. I understand that very well. All right. So you came in 20 years ago. So you came in... Uh, Tui had just wrapped up. Uh, third edition had just kicked off a few years prior, if I remember right, because that's when I took my my leave of gaming for a while because of work oh, issues. Sure. But uh, so you, you never did you ever play basic D and D? No, or, I don't. Think so. All right. Well, basic D and D, uh, obviously a lot like a lot less classes than third edition or Pathfinder. But your non-human races were a class unto themselves. So every elf was an elf class. They weren't a fighter, a cleric, or a magic user, a thief. They were pretty much like a, a fighter-magic user combination. Dwarves were all fighters. When you play in, in, in your games as a player, how deep an option do you want? Do you... Do you want a multitude of classes or do you prefer something like the traditional tropes or an iconic elf or fighter or whatever i'm a a big believer in mixing things up so uh dimitri is very often my game master and one of the things he hates most is when i start talking about character concepts and i'm like i'm gonna be an orc bard and he's like no i'm gonna be a <laughs> A halfling barbarian? No. Um, so we go through this for a while, and finally I come up with a concept that is wacky enough that I am happy, um, but is normal enough that Dimitri is happy, and then we can play. And this this usually takes about two weeks of me going through all of the ridiculous things. Like, I'm going to play, I don't know, like a water elemental that's afraid of water or something, and Dimitri says, no. Um, <laughs> I'm one of those players. I'm very well behaved once I'm at the table, but... Um, I go a little crazy in concept. So I'd rather stay away from the archetypes just because I feel like they've been they've been done so much that that I want to explore something new. So that's that's usually my approach is is like what angle can I use? Like how can I how can I make this something that is is unique to me and is going to be be an interesting game for me. Fair enough. That makes a lot of sense. And God bless your husband for uh, being able to make those compromises in the end. He's a patient gonna... man. <laughs> he has to be. <laughs> All right. Um, next question, and it's certainly gaming related. Uh, the whole idea of save or die, where a single saving throw can mean your character's life or death, regardless of hit points or level. Um, some people love it, some people despise it. Uh, where do you stand on it? I think it depends on the kind of campaign you're playing, and it depends how invested you are in the campaign. Like, 
nobody minds losing a first level character that they've not really bonded with yet. In fact, it, it happens. I was playing a, a game with Guy Sklandris, um, who is the face of How to Be a Great GM. He's, he's one of our affiliates and he's awesome. Um, and we were, we were playing and uh, right at the end of the, of the one shot campaign, my character died. And I was sad, but you know what? It happens. It's okay. I made the character two minutes before the game. Um, and even though we'd grown close, I was okay with it. If that had been a 12th level character, I would have lost my shit. So <laughs> I think it depends a lot on, and, and maybe that's what your GM wants. Like maybe, maybe that's the experience he's trying to give to you. But I think it depends so much on where you are within the campaign and these kinds of things as to whether it's a good idea or not. Um, and also how, how, far the campaign still has to go because you don't want to stop a story in the middle and what the GM's plan is then. So if 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 you if the character dies, if you get a TPK because you miss the saving throw or whatever it is, then what is is the story stopped? What what happens? Does does evil triumph over good? Because to me that's not a good story. Um so these are these are the, the considerations. So if the DM has a plan, I think it can be really effective. So if, for example, if the DM sees you playing multiple characters, some of whom die, but eventually you reach the objective, whatever that objective is, fantastic, great, great plot device. If it's just you're dead and then it's anticlimactic and you're like, huh, all right, I guess I'll just, we'll start again then, shall we? If you haven't realized it already, Janet is very loose when it comes to uh rules and very adamant when it comes to story yeah and that's something that defines her um she plays every system depending on what will add to her personal uh essentially collection of weirdness of characters and beauty of stories yeah i'm a i'm a writer in my spare time so for me it's all about the story not just the character that i'm playing and their role within the story but the story as a as a living thing from by itself so that's that's how i make my decisions about the campaign that i'm playing and i realize as i'm saying that that i sound like a complete nutcase but probably she is but it's a different story but now that's one of the more detailed answers i've i've, I've gotten to that people often go on the the, the emotional level of it uh and like you said, if it's a if it's a one shot, or if it's a short campaign, if it's at a convention, it's one thing. If it's a campaign you expect to be running for years, character death is certainly rough, especially when you don't have much of a much of a control over it. Right. Exactly. I, I've always I I, I my, my thought on 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 the whole save or die concept is it's it's like spice. Uh, if you use too much of it, you ruin the dish. Yeah. Um, if you, you if it's not there at all, it might be bland. Yeah. But uh, it it should also it should never be a total surprise. I mean, if you're going for the big MacGuffin at the end, and you know it, it's obvious it, it looks unprotected. Yeah. Well, there's a good chance that there's something you should be looking for that may cause save or die. I I, I I would. I, I don't like the idea of a random trap in a, in a dungeon hallway. Uh, could kill you. 
Yeah, exactly. It has to it has to tie into this the the story and the epicness. But the other thing I would say about that is it depends what death means. Because in D and D, death is not it it's not forever. Like you can be brought back in various ways. There are things you can do. In uh in some worlds, death is forever. And then I would say save or die is a is a very different mechanic because when there's no revolving door to the afterlife, um it's a much more finite thing, and you need to use it in a different way. Yeah, that's the thing. Like when I've been DMing uh, Dungeons and Dragons in its various forms since I don't know, nineteen eighty or so. Yeah. And I, I've never liked the idea of the whole revolving door of of death that take the body and bring him to the nearest cleric and the cleric will heal him. Especially in the older systems, like AD&D, raise dead and resurrection cost that cleric years of his life. So, you know, careless adventurers are not going to simply get resurrected because, or, or, or raised simply because they want to when the, the cleric has to give up, you know, years of his time on earth or, whatever the, the planet you're playing on. So I'd rather my, in general, my, my, my players die, not my players die, or their characters die. But, but, <laughs> it's an important distinction. Yeah. Well, I could get in trouble for the first one. But uh, I'd rather, uh, I'd, I'd rather character death be based upon um, the, the the characters' decisions, and and for the most part, and less randomness. They should have, they should go. Oh shit! I should probably shouldn't have done that, as opposed to, uh fuck! I, who knew that was coming? You know, it, right? It, I think it, that it is always about the mechanics are trying to support the idea of having raised takes. Yeah. If you know that death is an option you should be more careful and you will, you will find ways to make the drama in a scene more importantly about the drama than effectively being the crazy hobo that goes there, murder hobo, and just goes there to kill stuff. And I think that is what it's trying to prevent as a system. Well, the crazy, the crazy hobo is always a lot of fun. <laughs> Sorry. A was... little bias on my end. <laughs> no, fair enough. All right. Uh, let's get to the final question, and then we'll get to the uh, the hex crawl aspect of this. Oh, yeah. All right. So you came into gaming at about eleven years old. Yeah. It's now it's now twenty years later. Uh. Uh huh. So, what would the eleven year old you think if they could see what you'd be doing in the gaming hobby at this point in your life? She would lose her shit. Um, <laughs> partly, I think she'd be furious with me because 11 year old me was absolutely convinced that she was going to be a musician. Um, and, and she would look at me now and being like, you sold out, man, you sold out. But at the same time, like, I, I don't think 11 year old me even, even sort of realized that I could do what we're doing now, which is basically helping people succeed in the world of writing and 
D and D and like tabletop RPGs and stuff. So I think I think in a way she'd be like, you sold out, man. You sold out. But in another way, she'd be pretty freaking impressed. So I'm happy with that. I can reconcile that with eleven year old me. Nice, nice. All right. Well, that leads us to our our next part of this conversation then. Exactly. Explain to the audience exactly what it is that you are doing in the hobby these days. Because I find it very interesting. You mean with World Anvil? Of course. Um, yeah. So I don't know if, do you know the backstory of World Anvil? I do not know the backstory of World Anvil. So in, <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, in like June of 2017, I was trying to write a book and I was failing because I was trying to write an enormous epic fantasy book with races and history and geography and just so much world building. And I was just losing track of the world building the whole time. Um, and Dimitri looked on at this and he was like, huh, I can see you're struggling. Let me help you. Okay. So he started thinking about how he could make something that would help me track all the world building behind my novels, track the plots a little bit, this kind of stuff. Um, he started building it. He talked to a friend of his who was a DM. D Dimitri himself is a DM. He's been playing tabletop role-playing games since he was about six, I think. Um, seven. Seven. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we've always been really involved with the hobby. And he, he showed this sort of prototype of World Anvil to his friend, and his friend was like, oh my god, I need this for my GMing, like, to keep track of everything, because, dear god, if I have to write something else on a napkin and then lose it, I'm gonna lose my mind. Um... And so, yeah, it really, like, that was that was the start. It's, like, the biggest present I never asked for. Um, and it started as a hobby, uh, just sort of running this, running this website that helped people keep track of their world building. Um, and from there, it just got really crazy. So these days, World Anvil is a world building platform. It's a campaign manager. Um, it's got interactive maps. It helps DMs plan their plots and put together their homebrew campaigns and then run them. We've got a digital uh, storytelling screen. Uh, so you can have all of your notes in front of you. It's like having the DM screen at your table, but on World Anvil. So you just have one tab open and everything is in there that you need. Um, and for novelists, it helps them keep track of the, the worlds behind. Uh, like so behind the book behind the series that a lot of the concept stuff and i write my writing journals in world anvil as well so if i'm if i'm at a point that i'm stuck i will sit down and journal in world anvil because it means i can add in all the characters and mention in everything so that when i go back to the journal later i know what i was talking about um so that's really what it's become is this sort of support mechanism for creatives which is is pretty cool so that's what we're doing in the hobby right now we're supporting other people to do world building and then to uh, release their stuff to the world if they want to. Uh, Hex has Hex shown me a few uh, shots and, and and I guess not just live uh, screen shares of him going with the World Anvil software and zooming in on things like Large Gate, which he's uploaded. Yeah. And it blows my mind. Pretty cool, huh? It is extremely cool. And, and how much you can drill into it, how deep you can go. 
Yeah, like um, that's one of the things I really like about it is um, something that you something that one struggles with, something something I struggled with, and something that a lot of people struggle with with world building is granularity. So having the feeling of scope and knowing how big something is and having that big picture and also having those granular details. Um, and that's something World Anvil is really amazing for. So you can really go right into the nitty gritty, talk about like recipes of the food traditions in a particular place if you want to, if you need to. And you can also talk about massive geological superstructures if you want to. Like you have that that ability and you then you can keep track of it all. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things I like most about using it. I, 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 I don't want to say I was overwhelmed. I was, like I said, stunned by uh, the depth. It really, it's beyond anything that I've ever played with. I've used uh, some campaign management software and I've used VTTs. So I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm, I'm, I'm not a total novice to the list, but I just think it's amazing, you know, how far you've come with this. Thank you so much. It, um, I, I call World Anvil my baby, um, and it's, it's a big, needy baby. Um, you know, Dimitri and I are both working on it super hard. Um, it's, it's, of course, it's only been up for a year and a half, so um we are still technically in beta i keep having to remind people of this but um you're in, wait, wait, you're, you're, you're still, in still in beta yeah it's not this is not even its final form not even close oh, to where it's supposed to be <laughs> so wow. um one of the things we're really looking forward to is improving the user experience because dimitri is actually a user experience designer but he's also the only programmer working on the thing right now so um he doesn't have time to do the user experience he's just trying to get the features out so that we have the thing in a place that we want it. Um, so, like, it, it's so nice of you and your, your words are so kind, but we're not done yet. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I'm floored from what I've seen already. That's what blows my mind here. It, it, what I have seen is leaps and bounds beyond similar software. So. Oh, well, thank you. That's really kind. Um, as I say, it's our passion. We we wake up in the morning, we talk about World Anvil. We go to bed, we talk about World Anvil. We go out for a walk, we talk about World Anvil. It is our entire life right now, to the point that it got slightly unhealthy. Um, and we, we've been taking steps to restore work-life balance so that we actually have some life. Even, even a little bit would be nice. <laughs> All right, so if you're still in beta, what are the current plans for it? Where, where is it going? We have, um, as I said, we have a big user experience update coming up. Um, we have something we're working on right now, which we're very excited to release, but I can't tell you much about it now. Because it's still super secret. We can come and talk to you about it when it's out. Yeah, the about... moment, exactly. Yeah, yeah the moment okay. is out. It should be out in about a month we're looking at. And Maybe just a bit to longer. explain why, and because we did used to be like that we used to be very open with what we're releasing and shout it out the world because we wanted everybody to know and be excited about it. but we found out the last six months that there was a, a a thing of people joining the guild learning about world anvil spending about a month in that 
and then going out and saying, I have created this unique first time seeing thing called X. And we'd be like, well, we made that like six months ago and you were in a guild. So you definitely know that. So this is lies, but thanks. So we're trying to at least have the ability to show that we created something, you know, ourselves and not something being copying or something because that was a perception that was being created. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we, we saw this a lot that people would come in and just sort of verbatim take our features and then say that they were new and we'd be like, well, they're not new. So we've started being a little bit more careful about when we do feature release before the things are released. We don't want to talk too much in public because we want to get the thing out and be like, well, we developed this rather than somebody else trying to take the credit. I think it's fair enough. We spend a lot of time working on these things. About 16 hours a day. Right, exactly. Oh, oh I, I believe the effort into it. And yeah. I, I, I've heard I've heard a similar story from one of the VTT guys uh, mm. that that he uh, discussed what was in the works for his VTT with a bigger player in the industry. And then uh, before you know it, the bigger player is releasing those features. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... It, it is the way of the world and that's okay. But again, we're, we're so new at this. We, we haven't done anything like this before. So um, there's been a learning curve and that's one of the things that we learned along the way is, you know, some cards keep close to your chest, um, not in a malicious way, but just to make sure that you get the credit for the things that you do when they come out, basically. Um, apart from that, we are going to have a calendars update. It has been much requested. Dimitri's still racking his brain on exactly what that's going to look like because the thing with calendars is that everyone has their own unique idea of what they are and what they should do and everyone thinks that their idea is is the only idea and they don't see anyone else's ideas if you see what I mean so so everyone's like this is what calendars should be and and it, and then you get like five different answers so we're still having to think about um what we want it to do and how we're going to implement it but it's going to it's going to complement the timeline system that we already have um, and basically in increase usability on that front. We also have an RPG update coming out. Uh, we have a writer's update coming out, which I am super excited about. Um, and I'm trying to think what else is in the roadmap here. Oh, many, many. Uh, we'll be opening up effectively all the assets in World Anvil into people that want to use it uh, to be able to create applications or to be able to put their own assets in their own websites. Oh, yeah. And, oh. oh, yeah. Because uh, as I said, it's not. A, it, we are not. Some, we're not trying to keep people in World Anvil. We're trying to create a tool set for people to use and to make their games and their systems better. So, creating an API for people to be able to use what they are doing in World Anvil inside another read, that is something very important for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a lot of updates that come uh, soon. Uh, on not soon, but soonish when it comes to uh, the way that people are able to create their own homebrew systems, which also is a very important one. We've done the very first steps a month yes. ago uh, with allowing people to have uh, a lot of, uh, essentially the ability to create their own character sheet templates and then build from them whatever they want as well to have in their systems. And uh, finally, I think that one of the biggest things that will be coming in Gold Anvil in the near future is the ability for storytellers to create um, effectively a better organization on their system and to have even more power in terms of creating content for their players and displaying it to them. 
Wow. Well, that is a large amount of content coming up. And it's not even revealing the content you can't talk to me about. No, the very big one is not actually revealed. And that's the very, very big one. For her. <laughs> uh, the yeah. other thing that a lot of people ask us about is, are we going to have an app? And yes, there will be probably an app coming late 2019, early 2020. It's going to be a mobile application. It's going to be a light version, L-I-T-E, which means it's going to have some functionality, but obviously we don't want to break people's phones. So we don't want to put the whole of World Anvil on your phone. That would just be a disaster. Um, so yeah, that's, that's coming. Oh, and of course the Sage update, which we just released. Um, which basically helps people monetize their work, monetize their world building. It gives um, all sorts of different ways to give privileged access to people who want to see your things. Um, and you can then sell that access, not through World Anvil, but you can use that access with your own Patreon or with your own Kickstarter or with your own storefront. Um, and actually we have somebody doing a Kickstarter right now, um, Swordsfall. Uh, it, it's a project that started in World Anvil. We're super excited because it's like a little grandbaby. Um, it's it started in World Anvil. It's um, um, come on, brain. It's an African centric um, role playing system. Essentially, it's Afro punk. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Um, and Matt Mercer shouted it out, and we all had like a massive squee because we're like, "Yay! One of our users is succeeding." Like that's the kind of community we have. We're really lucky. Well, um, I just looked it up, and uh, wow, thirty-seven thousand dollars raised twenty-four yeah. days ago. Yeah, they're two thousand percent funded or it something. They did really well. well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I expect this is the first of many Kickstarters to come out of World Anvil because there are a lot of worlds who are at that point where they're ready to release, almost ready to release. Ethnis is another one, um, yeah. which is one of the internal worlds of World Anvil, but they're just about to do uh, a Kickstarter, I think. I'm really excited to see that, so... Well, let's not put my uh, words in their mouth. Yeah, I don't want to stress them out, right? <laughs> I, know, I know it's their plan in the future. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like seeing members of our community using it as a professional tool to really succeed. I mean, as Frogger Games, in fact, as, as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Frogger Games, as well, is, as you know, is yes, uh, yes. doing their latest Kickstarter release using World Anvil as well. Um, we're just so freaking thrilled that we've found a way to help people release their content. Because... You have to understand that there was, this was never the plan. Like, there was, there was no, no idea when we started about a year and a half ago that this would. There yeah. was, we didn't say, let's build a business and make money. We're like, what are the two? to do our storytelling and our RPG gaming easier. And I would like to have a place like I can build my walls because my biggest problem always was that I would build walls for my uh, RPG games because I'm the kind of person who likes to homebrew. And either if the campaign finished, I would be losing my uh, notebooks or I would see them and I wouldn't be able to even read what I wrote in there. Or I would oh, have yeah. tried to do it with docs and like Google Docs. And then I would have like thousands and thousands of like pages of something that cannot really search for. So it's right. kind of like lost content and things that you cannot really, I mean, you cannot use it. It might not, it might as well not be there effectively. And that's what we try to tackle. And then it just happened that effectively we went from one user in October, 2017 to 200,000 users uh, last month. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, the growth has been real and startling. 
frankly. <laughs> and, and what I love is that, is that your initial vision didn't really bring you to that 200,000 mark. You, you know, that's what I find to be more special. It, you know, the community made your growth. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. But um, we've always been super community focused. Like all of our development is based on what the community tells us. Um, so it's all community driven. Uh, we run community competitions for the community, uh, which are run by our community leaders. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's always been our focus because of course the thing that we wanted to do was to help people. So the community is an integral part of that. Um, and they're just freaking amazing like the world building the the spirit of like camaraderie and the support is is absolutely exceptional we are so lucky well, that's awesome now what would the pricing be on this for somebody if they wanted to uh join the world anvil well uh first of all world anvil is free <laughs> well, if, I, you want I... to, if you want to keep your uh Worlds public, it's yeah. completely free and it will always be. Nice. Um, the three percent of amazing people who are paying for World Danville uh, pay anything between three dollars a month, actually 275 if they have a journeyman for 12 months, all the way to 200 dollars if they are a patron of us. But Titan. Generally, yes, but um, in truth, uh, you can get all the features that you will ever need to be a gold builder or a storyteller with a big group for $9.75 a month, and that becomes actually about $7 if you take it for 12 months. That is the answer, the simplest answer. Well, the fact that you can play with this for free is, that was is amazing. Always the idea. You know, you know what saddens me? That I get emails sometimes from people saying, can I get uh, essentially the paid version for free? And I was like, or for example, for free for some days. And I was like, you have all the features apart from privacy already. There are some advanced features you don't get access to, but you can learn Voldanville without even having to touch them. And it was, that, was, that is our modus operandi that we have to support people into creating whatever they want, and we want to do that for free. Of course, we cannot give everything out for free because, as we just said, we have two people here that work 16 hours a day. We are, we are essentially paying for another five people to provide design for us or support for the community as much as we can. And we need to essentially have a way to support also a project that costs a lot of money every month. Yeah. It is as simple as that. We wish everything goes for free, but it's simply impossible. It's as simple as that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we just had to upgrade our storage again because you know what? We have 200,000 users and even if, even if they only put one image each, that's already an awful lot of space. Um, yep. Yep. <laughs> um, and something that, that a lot of people forget um, and when they come to complain at me, oh, why can't I have this for free or why can't I have that for free? And I always always get a bit sad because, as I said before, World Anvil is my baby. And when people complain about my baby, I'm like, but it's my baby. Um, one of the things is uh, they forget that we provide all of that support for free, all the tech support for free, all the space and um, storage of that is all for free. Um, yeah, so... So it's obviously a big project to offer for free, but we feel like we want to support the community. We want to support people who don't necessarily have the money to pay because they're students or 
because whatever. Um, and the best way to do that is to provide the basis of the tool for free. And that's why we do that. But um, yeah, again, like if you if you want the privacy feature, which is the main the main one that people go for, it's like two seventy five a month or something. Yes, which is less than a coffee. Yeah, that's more than reasonable. Because, like I said, I, I I've I've seen Hex, you know, do the do the live screen share with me. I, I've seen the depth, the the amount of drilling down you can get into this, and as a as a campaign campaign tool, uh, the potential is unlimited. Yeah, I mean, definitely, if you're doing a homebrew, I think it's it's the right tool. You know, like if you're if you're doing anything that you're creating yourself rather than just playing out of a book, it's it's the thing you need. I mean, that's that's always been my opinion. Well, that's, that's that's amazing. I mean, I'm, and that's just uh, from from my looking at it from the outside. Now it, you've convinced me I have to look at it from the inside. I got to start playing with it. <laughs> you, you've converted me. Like, there we go. That's that, I, that, I, the dream. I, I've been assimilated like, like, like the Borg in Star Trek. Wow. Uh, I'm sorry. It, it's not often that I, I, I get speeches, but to offer so much for you know, basically an unlimited amount of free to play time to learn the system, to learn how it all works before you even have to invest any money as a user is, is awesome. And I'm, I'm big on, on that. I, that's, I'm an OSR gamer. I'm very big on uh, having free options to get people into using certain rule sets. But at the same time, having the ability to upgrade to a paid version, whether it's, you know, a full color art filled PDF as opposed to a stripped down PDF or moving on to the printed version to get your table. Uh, free to try or is to me always a huge selling point. Yeah. And again, like there, there are people who can't afford a month. Like we, we have a bunch of students. We have some young people. Uh, I was written to the other day by a girl who's 11, who's just started writing a book, and she's writing it with her mother, and they're using World Anvil together. Awesome. And awesome. do you know what? If they want to do that with a freemium version, fantastic. That's awesome. You know, that that's that's fantastic. And, you know, if they want something more serious and more rigorous, then then fine, they can pay $2. But, um, yeah, like the fact that they can, that that little 11-year-old girl can start writing a book just using World Anvil for free, I think is super important. Well, that, that's great. I mean, <laughs> all right, so, so obviously uh, on the blog side, I'm going to have to be doing a user's review on this in a couple of weeks after I get my feet wet. <laughs> and, and after Pex comes down, a number of interviews I got to do, so I have a little free time. But Pex will never calm down. Uh, Pex is awesome. Take the power behind the throne here at All Things Tavern. But uh, so now, if your major update's coming out in about a month, uh, obviously we're going to have to have you back. Oh well, we'd be thrilled. Yeah, I love sitting by the fire and having a chat. So yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a very exciting one. Again, I can't tell you very much right now, but um, I, I know, that, that's okay. Ooh, that's okay. We we have teased the audience, and that's that's awesome. So uh... <laughs> we've teased them now. Let's not make them mad. No, no, no. <laughs> 
You wouldn't like them when they're angry. But no, she knows, <laughs> in all seriousness, yes, we, we're going to have to have you back because uh, not even knowing what the update is, the fact that you're, you have to keep it close to your chest right now or close to your vest uh, in, in the next month or so, uh, I'm expecting it's going to be a significant update. And I, I'd love to talk about it. I'd love to talk about World Anvil after I get a chance to uh, play around with it a little bit, maybe plug in one of my homebrew maps that I've worked on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's um, The maps actually is one of my favorite things because of the amount of interactive functionality you can have with them. Um, and that's nice as a as a DM because you can like remember where everything is and, and this kind of stuff. But uh, it's even better for your players because you can give them the map and be like, here you are, click around and explore. This is what you know. And it gives your players that, like, rather than presenting them with a block of text where they're like, ah, too long, didn't read. You can just like give them the clicky, clicky around your map and they can click around and read snippets about the different locations. And it's a much more intuitive way of learning about a space as well. Oh, certainly. It, it combines the, 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 the visual and the reading at one spot. As opposed to looking back and forth and trying to match them up between the two. Oh god, yeah, the first two. Oh yeah. Don't we all love that? My desk is always very messy, so when I'm doing when I'm doing the page flipping, we always end up I always end up with like and there's a fork holding open one page and there's like a hair tie holding open another page and like this random collection of objects shoved in the book so that I can find the different pages. You see, that wouldn't work with me. My cat would just rip them all out and play with it, especially for his, you know, hair ties and pencils or forks. Nothing oh. survives her. She's oh, on my, she's on my uh, on my desk right now, on top of my blotter, so I can't make any notes while I'm uh, while I'm talking. <laughs> we have three cats, and um, anyone who's ever done a, a video call with us, a video meeting, whatever, anyone who's ever seen any of our live streams, know that they just come and go as they please, as cats do. Um, oh, yeah. They'll rock it onto the top of a chair. They'll knock something over in the background. They're absolutely hilarious. The worst though is when they're sitting in the middle of the floor, chewing something. You can't see what it is. Oh, God. What are you eating? I know that one very well. My, oh, my girl loves those little uh, twisty ties from uh, bread and stuff. Oh, God my God, yes. Yeah, if she finds that, it's, it's never-ending. It's like, all right, with my luck, you're going to swallow this. Yes, I'm talking about you. I'm, you're looking at me right in the eyes. Yes. <laughs> and, then, and then, of course, uh, in the room right next to us, we have our dog who uh, the moment we wrap this up, right after it gets wrapped, she'll understand I just wrapped up and start barking. It's like, I was good the whole time. Now come over here and give me attention. <laughs> no, so. Uh, oh, yeah. Animals are, animals are, but you know, the whole thing with, with my cat and, and, and video is like, a lot of my gaming is on VTTs and uh, my camera is on the desk and she has a habit of walking by that camera and and then like stopping with her ass like almost right up against the camera but just oh, yeah. far enough away that you can actually see that it's a cat ass as opposed nice. to uh, yeah no it, it it's actually been on a few youtube videos too god help us i'm ready for my close-up meow yes yeah well mr uh, mr deville here's my cat ass yes no. 
Oh, they are special creatures, aren't they? <laughs> oh, they, they, they certainly are. She's, she's my, she's my girl. Uh, nobody else can pick her up. That's one uh, of the reasons yeah. I like having uh, animals in uh, RPG games as well. Actually, they always uh, end up as everyone's favorite character. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh yeah, um, I, I've the ongoing joke at the North Texas RPG Con is Glenn Halstrom always brings uh, a dog into was it a case of the unknown. And oh, yeah, uh, yeah and, and every year, yeah, you know, I think the dog was the only survivor one year, from what I heard. <laughs> total, total TPK, but the dog made it out alive. So, oh my god! Yeah, well, you they, can't kill the puppy. We all know that. No, oh, not even, not even the game. You're better off killing orc babies than a puppy. Right, exactly. No. We ended up with a with a pet wild boar, whose name was Pate, I think. Oh, nice. Um, this thing came with us everywhere. Um, <laughs> followed us into dungeons. Just, just like came and hung out with us. It was everybody's favorite character. And one of the NPCs died, and we were sad. But like, if that, if Pate had died, we'd have lost our shit. <laughs> yeah, because animals in in game or in real life, they they become your family. They become your kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, mind you, I had a I had a stick called Mister Sticky at one point. Uh, I'm afraid to even go deeper into that one. It was a, it was a quarter staff. My character had a quarter staff. Um, okay. She was very cautious, and she sort of poked everything before she engaged. Um, it was sort of one of her, one of her personality quirks. Um, and the day she lost that staff was a bad day, <laughs> where the DM was like, "Yeah, it's gone. Sorry, I've taken that away from you now." Uh, you're gonna have to have. Uh... Like Mr. Stick number two. Right. Yeah, it's right. not the same. The second. Place my quarter staff. <laughs> oh, look, another tree limb. It's just not the same. It's right, just exactly. Not. It's not Mr. Sticky. <laughs> anyway, yeah. The things our characters <laughs> do, right? Yep. Wow. Well, I, I, I want to thank both of you for taking time out of your day for uh, to drop in here for our little fireside chat. I really appreciate it. Oh, our pleasure. It it's been nice. really fun. That's the whole reason why we call them fireside chats. Interviews are just too formal. So yeah. somebody suggested fireside chat because, you know, that way it's just, it's you're hanging out. Yeah, it's, right. too. it's less intimidating as well. It is. It's like an interview. Oh, my God. Fireside chat. It's like going out to, it's like going out to the pub, you know, uh, pulling up a... A stool sitting next to the fire, drinking your beer or your scotch, and and yapping to friends. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I joke with Dimitri a lot that um, I have to put on my human suit when I deal with humans because I'm I'm quite zany. I'm very high energy. I'm a little bit weird, as you may or may not have noticed on this chat. Um, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of times when we have meetings where I feel like I have to be an adult human, and it's it's tough. But I have not felt like that this whole chat. So that's been great. I have left that's, the human suit on the shelf. That's because I've never been an adult human. It kind of works out pretty well. <laughs> you know, I might have a kid that's 25, but trust me, I, I feel younger than him in a lot of ways. So, uh, you know. the, the best thing about retirement is that you can give up some of those responsibilities of being an adult yeah. human. I can imagine that. Yeah. So, well, again, thank you both. 
This has been really good. Oh. So now you, you do know that you have to reach out to Pex in a couple of weeks and we got to work out a follow up. Yeah, we will we will let Pex know when we're about to drop the secret project. I think everybody will um, know what we're about to do. Everybody will know. <laughs> it sounds like a plan. Well, again, thank you both. I've had a blast. Uh, to my audience that's listening, uh, this has been great. We will find out more in about a month, give or take, about the, uh, the big secret. And on that note, I'm going to bid everybody adieu. As usual, God bless. Roll your dice well. And I will talk with you all tomorrow. <laughs>